worship you, Lord. We just uh, pray for Jeff, and as he brings your word to us, that you'll just be with him this morning. In your name, Lord. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's, um, it's actually nice to be here for the very fact that I could very well not be. This, even just this morning, there was um, just made it in, but there was two plants down, and I, I started off with the first call of a breakdown, and they're asking me to come in, and then the, the second one has also just happened, so I've been asked to go to that as well. But managed to get um, put them off, hopefully for a few hours. And um, yeah, it's just it's nice to be here, and uh, it's just been a, an amazing sort of week and the things that have been happening as well. So um, this morning we're going to be going through our, um, our last of the biblical characters. So we've been going through, if you remember, we were starting in... Um, thanks, Damien. So we've, we've been going through um, biblical characters, and today we're going through our last biblical character, which is um, the Apostle John. And um, previous to that we were going through Corinthians, if you remember, and we're doing that expository... At the expository, looking at through through First Corinthians, and then we jumped onto um, these biblical characters. And just to give you a heads up, where we're going in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at another couple of topical subjects, and then from there, we're going to be going back into expository teaching again and through the the book of Genesis. So that's that's where we're heading. But these are the the various um, biblical characters that we've been. Oops, I'll go back through this one biblical characters that we've been going through. So I'm not sure if which characters have spoken to you. There might be some that are, that are there that um, have, you've taken real note of, and others may be ones that you've found maybe quite a struggle. But the amazing thing with all these biblical characters is that some of them start off weak. They end up strong. Some of them have started off really strong, and they ended up weak for the Lord. And others had a road that was like this, sometimes up, sometimes down, sometimes up, and they carried on those sorts of things. But the thing that's amazed me as we've been going through all these um, various biblical characters is the fact that God chooses people to do his very will. Very indirectly and very infrequently does God come down like he did for the flood of Noah or in Sodom and Gomorrah. Most often it's choosing broken vessels or people like you and I to do the very will and the plan of God. And that's really what I'm wanting to talk about today is we're going to be tying up the, the biblical characters and we're going to be looking at John. And um, to tell you the truth, I've, I've really, really struggled with John. Um, sorry. He's a, he's a hard character. And, and the reason that I found him so hard is that as we go through, I'm going to give you some of the, the background and things like the character study that we're going to go through. And that I can handle. The part that, that I've really struggled with is the real essence of who John is. Um, and as we get into that, that's the part that I found really hard and struggled with, is because in essence, it's his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more that I've been looking into this, this idea and his, um, his character and his personality, the more that it's been like shining a torch into my own soul to see where am I in relationship to where John was in his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to get into that, but um, yes, I've got to sort of back up and we want to go through some of these other things. Very cool. So the next one is the, the Apostle John himself. 
He's the son of um, Zebedee and Salome. And the, and the way that we can get that, and this stuff I can be a lot more comfortable with, so I can tell you that he was the son of these two. And, and the reason that we know that it's um, Salome is if we compare those two passages, the one that's in Matthew chapter 27 versus the one that's in Mark, it names four women there. It talks about two Marys, and then it talks about Joseph, and then it also talks about, one, it talks about the mother of Zebedee's children. In the other passage in Mark, it tells us who that person is, and it names it as Salome. So we know that um, John was the, the son of both Zebedee and Salome. He's a brother to the apostle, the amazing apostle James. So it's James and John. Um, and probably he's the younger brother. And the reason that we know that is that, um, well, it's an assumption, but every time that I looked it up in the concordance and things like that, for the 34 times that I found those two names mentioned together, it was always in that order, James and John, James and John. So probably the younger brother. And in early life, he was a fisherman. Now, like for me, my because I enjoy fishing and things like that, that's where I'd like to stick and be comfortable. Maybe talk about some fishing stories and maybe relate them to, to John and things like that and the way that he fished for men and things like that. Um, that's where I'm more comfortable maybe to talk about rather than the, the essence and the core of John. But he was a, he was a fisherman and quite um, more than likely he was in comfortable circumstances, just that his father had um, hired servants but also, if you remember that when Jesus was on the cross and he turned to Mary and he said, behold your son, and he said to John, behold your mother, and it says, and then from that day forth, John took his mother, or Mary, to be in his own home. So he, he may have been okay, like he, he had the family background, was um, somewhere that was, was comfortable, he had his own home. And we also may assume that he was the, the unnamed disciple of John the Baptist. Um, and that comes from John chapter 1, verse 40. If you remember, back in verse 36 of John chapter 1, it says, when John the Baptist was there, he says that he, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And that's this famous saying that um, John the Baptist has. And then he, it says after that in verse 40, he says, and we told, and it names the disciple, it says Andrew, and then the other disciple. John, all the way through this book of John, is going to be looking at himself as an unnamed disciple or the disciple that Jesus loved. He doesn't, but we'll see later on, he's going to relate those two ideas together, the unnamed disciple and the disciple that Jesus loved. And that's the way that John talks about himself. So it's um, an interesting thing as well. Oops. Another one is about the Apostle John, is that he was later received the call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, both brothers were called. So there was Peter and his brother Andrew. They were disciples. They were brothers. And then there was also James and John. They were both brothers, and they became disciples. And they received this call from the Lord Jesus Christ later on as they're fishing to become disciples of him. And then, as we've already mentioned, that he refers to him as, as himself, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And all the way through, he's, he's, he's talking about this relationship that he has with the Lord Jesus Christ, this disciple whom, whom Jesus loves. And that's, again, been my struggle, is how do we quantify that and how do we get to that core of what it means to be the disciple that Jesus loved? Is that possible? Or how do, what does that mean? Um, the next one is that there was an, a, 
assumption that he was present at the, at the trials of Jesus. Again, the words here, it names Peter and the other disciple. So again, we have the um, where it's talking there, it names Peter, and it also names this other disciple that lets Peter come in, and they went into the trials of where Jesus was. He was definitely present at the crucifixion by that, that same verse that we talked about, telling Mary that um, John would be now her son to take care of Mary, and that also that for John, that Mary would be his mother. And also, if you turn with me to John chapter 20, because that's where we're going to be looking at, just this last one, this is an interesting thing for me, is that John was faster than Peter. <laughs> now, why God put stuff like that in, I'm not sure, and I've probably missed the point, but that's the thing that I enjoyed about it, is this character, is that John was, could out-sprint Peter. In John chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, Now the first day of the week, it says, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. See how they're both in there? The other disciple is the places that we've been looking at, at John the Baptist and also at the trials, and also the connection with the disciple that Jesus loved. It's the same, same thing. The other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. So the idea is that the starting blocks is that Mary Magdalene comes on, and then they both run together. Off they go. And then for some reason it says, and the other disciple outran Peter, okay, and came to the tomb first. For some reason, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we're wanting to know that he was faster than Peter. But the whole thing is that what I'm trying to, as we're going to get through, is that they, they, you're going to find there's something that's broiling both in Peter and in James and John. And that's what, um, it's just an interesting phrase that it mentions here. So he outruns him and comes to the tomb first. And if you jump down to verse 8, so they go into the tomb, they see that the tomb is empty. And then in verse 8 it says, Then... The other disciple, it's again John, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and he believed. So he sees the, the empty tomb. He goes in and he sees what's there, that there's nothing there. And then it says, and then he believed. But this is something that really intrigues me is verse 9. It says, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, what is the gospel? It says that when we're thinking about uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I preach unto the gospel which also you've received, by which you are saved, by which you stand, if you keep in memory that which I delivered to you. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I have received, how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and what? That he rose again the third day. Something that's intrigued me in this whole path and journey is why would Jesus, when the core is about his death and his resurrection, that for the, all the time that the disciples were with the Lord Jesus Christ, they did not know the scripture? Why did Jesus not show them, or did they miss it? He, he definitely mentioned it in other things, but why did they not, why did they not know that scripture? If, if I was to take people, surely that's what we'd do first, is get the Bible, and we'll write down all the things that we know about the Bible, and we would take them through Bible studies of of the various things that we would see as being very important. But we know that the gospel is of the utmost importance. 
why did Jesus, and all the time that he was with his disciples, he didn't show them the scriptures in regarding to his resurrection? It's just been a real intrigue to me, but I think it's got something to do with discipleship. And we're going to get there shortly if we can. Um, so just another thing that we know about the Apostle John is that um, Peter and John were leaders of the early church. And in um, Acts chapter in Acts chapter 3, in verse 1, we have this, this, the, the time when um, they're going towards the temple, and there's a man that's at the gate. And at the gate, Peter goes there and he says to this lame man that's been there, and everybody knows he's, he's someone that's well known to everyone, and he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he arises and he goes with, with Peter and with John and they go into the temple. And then in, in chapter 4, they get um, obviously they start questioning, but they, they don't know what to do with it because of the fact that this lame man is now walking in front of them and he's well known to everyone. And then in chapter 4, verse 13 of John, it says that they, they saw the boldness of Peter and James. They just had such a, a, a passion and a boldness in front of the Lord and in front of, in front of others that they just did amazing things. And um, they were recognized for that. Also in chapter 8, verse 14, we, we, there it talks to us about um, Samaria. And um, if, if you remember that, um, that Paul was the, the apostle that was to go to the Gentiles, that was his calling and his mission, and yet it was um, Peter and John that go to Samaria. And um, it's a, a whole different sort of, I guess, an interesting thing, but um, Peter was the one, if you remember, was, that was given the keys to the, the kingdom. And he was the one that like unlocks the doors. First of all, he unlocks the doors to the, the Jewish people that were there in Jerusalem. Um, and then after that, he goes to Samaria with John. These two head, and they open the door to the Samarians, which were the, the Jewish, the half Jewish people. And then from then, he goes to Cornelius's house. And he opens up the third group, the Gentiles. Peter's the one that does it. But in this case in Samaria, it's Peter and John. Once the doors were opened... Paul is the one that goes through and he starts evangelizing the, the Gentiles. It's an amazing, amazing sort of unity of how things all sort of were working together. Um, the other one is that he, um, at the end he was, um, in Galatians chapter 2 verse 9, um, we also see that um, there it says that, um, that Paul, when he's speaking about the leaders of the church, he, he sees that um, there were three as being pillars. In Galatians 2.9, he sees it as being James. Now, this isn't the James as in John's brother. By this time, James, that's John's brother, is, has died. In Acts chapter 12, he's killed by his martyrs. So this James is the half-brother of Jesus. And, and Paul, he sees these guys as the pillars of the church. He says it's James, the half-brother of Jesus. And then he sees it as Peter and also John. So these, that's the sort of place and the position they had. Um, he suffered under persecution um, and was banished to Patmos. And he is the, the author of the other books. There's 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. So far, so good. And this is where, for me, it gets hard. It's that kind of stuff I can work with. And, and maybe some of it we can talk about. But when it comes to John's character, um, it's like, what do we do with, with who he was in essence? Um, and the, 
for me, like for a Jewish person, is something that's always been like intriguing and that I've always enjoyed is the the meaning of someone's name. It's um, more often than not, it's it's not just because someone would like the sound of that name. I like the sound of Jeff. That sounds pretty good. So, um, but it's, it's not that. It's always about there's a purpose or a place or something that's happened or there's some sort of a reason, more often than not, of the meaning of that name. But also, um, you'll find that when you talk to someone that has um, a name, especially a Jewish name, that'll give you an insight into their character. It'll tell you something about who they are. And quite often, it's, for me, it's the thing that I'll ask first to try and see if I can see an insight into the character of the person. Well, John's name... His, his name means is, is Yochanan, and Yochanan is means you can hear the two words. It's Yah, like you'd see God's name, and then Hanan is being gracious. So that's where we get uh, this this the idea that the Lord has been gracious. So that's the meaning of John, and I struggled with that. It's like what what does that tell me about John? I, I didn't really know what to do with that. The Lord is gracious, but uh, that it's great. But what is I didn't understand what to do with that with John. But um, we're going to get back to that later on. But that's where I was at. What, what does that mean? But secondly, in Mark chapter 3 and verse 17, Jesus gives both James and John a surname, or he calls them both as a family unit. And he calls them this um, Bonerges, or being translated into the, the English, as the, the sons of thunder. So that was the name that the Lord Jesus gave to them. So we, we, we know for a fact that he gave them that name, but there must be a reason for this name. Why would you call someone sons of thunder? Well, most commentaries that um, will, will look at these ideas of the, um, why they were called that will usually do, use these verses or a combination or something like that. So the first one is, is Matthew chapter 20, verse 24, and also Mark 10. It's the same event. One's looking from the mother, and then one's looking from James and John. And that's the time when they go to the Lord Jesus and they say to the Lord Jesus, can we sit by your one on the left-hand side and one on the right-hand side? And the commentators say that that was their boldness. That was what it means to be thunder, that they were just almost like arrogant and they just presented themselves forward and that's what it means as a definition of why they were called the sons of thunder. Others have used the, the, like, the Luke passage to, to try and say, and that's in Luke chapter 9, verse 49, it's, it's talking about whether, where there was um, someone that was casting out demons. And, and then James and John say, look, we told that guy to stop. We, he wasn't um, one of us, and he wasn't a disciple, and he was casting out demons in your name, and we've told him to stop. And what does Jesus say? If he's not against us, he's, he's for us. Don't do that. And he tells them off for doing so. And that's another reason that they say that they were called the sons of thunder. And the, a common one is in verse 54 of Luke chapter 9. And that's where they, they go to Samaria, or village in Samaria. And Jesus is making his way towards Jerusalem. He, it says that he sets his face towards Jerusalem. He's going there. And obviously for the Samarians, they were, and the village that he was in, they always saw that that was the place of worship for God, not, not at the temple, not in Jerusalem. And so as he's setting his face there, it says that they, they see him they, and they reject him. And that's when James and John come up and say, shall we call for fire from heaven and bring it down just like Elijah did, Elias did? And that's, again, the reason that they call them the sons of thunder. So that's the, the sort of the background. And the most commentators will use a combination of that. So um, that's, 
And, and it could well be that that's true part of the case, but I have a, a slightly different opinion, I guess. The first one is the, the root where, where it's coming from. It means the son of the Bonerges. And the second part is that the root word can mean, yeah, absolutely, it can mean raging. And that's the idea where all these, this part has come out, that he was, they were, they were raging and that they had lots of agitation. So there was something inside. They were just getting agitated and they were raging and quite often they would just explode and do these things. And those are the examples that they would um, give in that, that, um, those passages. But this is the other word that it's also used in the same root word. And it's excitement. It, it's not, it's a different way of looking at thunder. The, the thunder is what's inside. So that it's, it's passion and it's, it's storming up and it's an excitement for the Lord. It's not just a, an external thing where you do things and call on the Lord and do this and, and I'm going to, can we sit on your left hand and right hand side? But it's something that's a thunder and a yearning inside and an excitement and a passion for the Lord. Now, if you look at all of the three apostles that were in the inner circle, that's Peter. We see Peter very clearly in his, his way of his outwardness of being able to express that, and he would do all sorts of things. But I believe that James and John had exactly the same thing. But it was a passion and a thunder and a burning and a raging that was inside for the things of the Lord and to do his calling and his purposes. And I think that's where, where he came to. And if I can just take you back to the place where you first came to the faith and came to the Lord, can you remember that feeling? Can you remember what it meant to ask the Lord Jesus into your heart? And uh, um, as the Holy Spirit came in, just that, that excitement and that burning and that, that passion that went on inside your heart, can you remember what that was like? I think that's what Peter, James and John had was this huge indwelling powerhouse of an excitement and a thunder for the Lord and the things that they would like to do. And what I would like to ask you now, I'm just going to do this very quickly, it's more of an interest for me, is that um, if you can remember that time, what I'd just like to ask you to do, and just what I want you to do is stand and then sit down if you could. I just want to ask you, please, if you could stand, if you are a first-generation believer, so that is that someone, their parents haven't been, haven't come to faith, but... You are the first out of your, your line to have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you just stand for me, just so I can see in our church, who are the first generation believers? Fantastic. Great. Thank you. Okay. Can I get you to stand now? If you are a second generation um, believer, that is your parents are saved and believers, and you have also come to faith. So if you're a second generation believer, can you stand up? Right, so we've got a, a fairly bigger proportion of that. Great. Okay, third generation believers, can you please stand? Very good. It's quite interesting, isn't it? <laughs> okay, fourth generation believers. Okay, there's a few of those. Great. Okay, fifth generation believers. We've got some fifth generation. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Do we have any sixth generation believers? Going up, six or, or seven or greater. Do we have any of them? No? Think so? Wow, look at that. Fantastic. What a heritage we have. 
And you know, all of us, wherever we're sitting, whether we're a first-generation believer or we're more than a seventh-generation believer, we all felt that coming to the faith and what it meant to have that raging thing inside, that, ex- that excitement and that absolute just joy and what it meant to be to come to faith. And that's a great thing. My real question to you now, though, is this, is which chair are you sitting in now? If, if that chair represents your coming to faith and that desire and that burning and that whole passion and what you, how you came to faith, where are you? Whether you're in the first generation, whether you're in the seventh plus, which chair are you actually presently sitting in now? I believe that James, Peter, James and John had that passion and they stayed in that place. Now, for some of us, we might be sitting in this chair. By the way, that's at Noel Lemmings for 2000 500 if you're interested, (laughs) but that's a comfortable chair. Some of us, when we come to faith, we we have that, and then we go into the comfortable chair. We we recognize that we're believers, but but we've been blessed, and that's a great thing. But we're comfortable in our lives and the things that God's doing with us, and we're just sitting there and we're in comfort. Um, But sometimes in that comfort, we also miss that passion and that burning inside. But some of us may be sitting in a chair like that. Another chair that we've got is a hard chair. This is just to represent those that just work hard and play hard. Just life is busy and we just want to work and we've got these things to do. And, and the Lord, yeah, absolutely he's there. But it's more about working and playing hard and, and the Lord can come alongside. But that's what it's about. It's about just getting ahead and doing those things. Or maybe you're sitting in a, in a director's chair where you just like to tell other people about the Lord or tell other things or tell other people about what they're not doing for the Lord. Maybe you're sitting in one of those chairs where you just like to tell other people about how wrong they are in their Christian walk or how they don't understand the Bible. But you yourself aren't leading from that director's chair, but you just want to tell other people what you think they should be doing with their own lives. Another chair that's there is the bubble chair. Maybe you're sitting and you, you have faith and you have it and you, you know it's inside and you have that relationship, but you just close off the rest of those that are around you. you, you I'm not saying you've, you've got it, absolutely, but you just want to block people that are around you. It's for yourself. Keep it to yourself. I have this faith, but I'm not going to, to let, that, let that go further. Maybe you're in a chair that needs repair. Maybe things have been hard in your life. Maybe it's a little bit broken. And maybe we've, it's that hardness of life or maybe there's scars that need to be mended and things like that. Maybe that's the chair that, that's consuming things at the moment and, and where we're sometimes at. And the last one is this one. <laughs> and it's the chair that moves around. Maybe you're like that as well. This chair goes just wherever it wants. It just floats. The doctrines that come up, the things that are happening, it just moves. Hopefully it's not backsliding, <laughs> but it's just the chair that can move with whatever's going on in this world. Hopefully you're, you're not in one of those chairs. So which chair are you currently sitting in? That's my question to you. Where, where are you sitting in your Christian walk? Because the, the most convicting thing of, for me about John is that he was in a place that was just continually in the service for the Lord and a passion and a hunger for the Lord. And my question is, and it's no, no answers, it's just where are you sitting? Just as a checkpoint. 
Because the more that I compare John with where I am, I can pick myself on the various different chairs. And I think that's the essence of John is who he was and character is, is where he was. So if we just move on, we're just going to look at how do we move towards that centre chair again, if, if that's the case. Just like it took you for you to get up out of your chair today, just to say which generation of believer you are, I believe it's the same thing when you make a decision for the Lord. All it is is a getting up and making a decision to go from wherever you are to go into that first or into that chair again to take that burning and that desire and that passion for the Lord again. But that's where I think where we find the, what John's name really means. There's two things that happen. The first one is that it's your decision. You have to make a determined decision to actually take and want to do that. But then by the grace of God, by the Lord's grace, he will help you to, to maintain and get back into that place. So it's not all about you just trying to be that person, but it's about you saying, look, I want to go into that direction. And by God's grace, which is why I think John was named that, the Lord is gracious, was to take the focus off him altogether. The idea of looking at John was not to look at John. The essence of John is not to look at him, but to look at the God in whom he worshipped. And the, the love and his relationship that he had was to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I think he has such an amazing name. Well, when it comes to the Lord Jesus, we have the general followers. So those are people that just heard him talking and that, um, that witnessed the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we had the believing followers. Those were the ones that, were, that believed the things that Jesus was doing. They didn't just witness it or were, were playing it, but they were actually believers. But then outside, and then coming out from that, inside a circle of that was the 12, 12 disciples. So out of all the believers that were there, the Lord Jesus took 12 disciples, and obviously one of them wasn't even a believer, but he took them into an inner circle, the 12. And then out inside of those 12, he picked three, Peter, James, and John. And they were there at those events, the raising of Jairus' daughter at the Transfiguration, the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and all of these three guys that I find in common is that they, it was, I, I could be wrong, but that's what I feel about them, is that they all had this passion and desire and a burning and a rumbling and thunder inside to do the things of the Lord. And I'm just wanting to ask you, where is that thunder that you have in your life for the Lord? Is that dwelling? Is it like, can you, are you trying to control it because it's so dwelling up inside and just hurting because of the things that God's calling you to do and you've just got that desire? I think these three men had it. And it was just this, this inner circle and this inner connection. And I think in discipleship, as we look back in John chapter 20 and verse 9, sometimes the way that we try to do discipleship is tell people just the answers. Why would Jesus not, in the beginning, and I always struggled with that when I first came back to the Lord and looking through and reading through the Gospels, why did Jesus, if it was me, I would have sat them down and laid out the Old Testament scriptures and said, look, this scripture means this, this scripture means this, and taken them through a maybe a Bible study on that way, and exactly show who he was and what had to happen and all of those kinds of things. At the time of Jesus' death, John doesn't even know the scripture that he's going to be raised again. And that's been a real um, challenge to me in discipleship, is that discipleship is not necessarily giving people the answer. It's giving them that passion and that burning. 
that desire for them to find the answers, that desire of getting that strength from the Lord and moving towards the Lord. Um, Tom MacGyver, this is something that he was mentioning a few weeks back, and I've, I've been thinking about that as well. And he said this, you know, that um, people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. Jesus could have given them all of the knowledge, written it down and given them the absolute, this is ABC and this is what's going to happen, this is the time frame and all those things, the absolute knowledge. But Jesus, in his wisdom, gave to them, because of his care and his love for them, even left out something that they didn't even know was as important as a scripture for the resurrection. Because he knew that the desire and the burning and the, the core of them was getting so intense with who he was and the way that he was showing that, that they were always going to find out and know who he was and the things that of his resurrection and things like that. Um, and if we just turn to, I'm just going to close in verse or chapter, just these words that he said, John chapter 20, and it's these famous words that he, that he put out. Um, in verse 30 it says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which were not written in this book. But then he says that, this, but these were written. So these things, just in the, the Gospel or the, of John, he says, these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So they were written so that we could have knowledge, but the knowledge is not just in here. The knowledge is not just the, um, the various scriptures that we can spin someone. It's, it's not about telling people what we even know about the scriptures sometimes. It's about coming alongside them, caring for them, and then getting them to have a boon for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's, for me, like why I feel convicted and the, the struggle that it's been for me is like, how much am I, am I doing that in my life for others? Or am I just... In some way, just telling people of the things that I know of the Scriptures. But if we can get people to have a passion, and that's my real desire, is if we can disciple people to get a passion that you can't hold on to them any longer because they're so vibrant for the Lord, that then they take off and start doing things that you would never imagine and would far ex exceed your expectations. And just in closing, what I'd like to share with you is just the, the vision that we've, we've also got here at, at Hukunui. So if you... Oops, I might jump on. Oops, there you go. If you can just remember, Peter took us through this, this collective vision that we have here at um, Hukanui. And the vision is to be in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 church. That's the, that's the vision. That's what we'd, all churches would love to be. Someone that is committed to the word of God in loving fellowship, worship, prayer, and evangelism. That's what we want to be at Hukanui. We want to be a church that it doesn't just know about the things of God, but we actually live the things of God, and it's in loving fellowship. So it's a, the vertical relationship as well as the horizontal relationship. That, that's our desire. That's the vision. And the purpose as an individual, like right down the bottom, our individual purpose is to be someone that's setting our hearts on the things above where Christ is seated. So that's us in our, in our quiet times and in our place in which we are. We, we want to be with the Lord Jesus and get to know him in this personal relationship but it can't stay there. It has to come out 
so that we can go to others that are around us in a caring and loving way, not just as an as a internal thing of just what we understand and the way that the Lord deals with us. And so what I'm going to do this morning is that just on that first mission, one is to be encouragement and vibrant home groups. You know, sometimes when we're talking about these different circles, we have the, 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 the outer ring, then we have the 12 disciples, then we move in and we have this core group of people. A lot of that stuff, like what I'm doing up here today is telling you about some of the things that I've been finding in my life and, and just the character of John. But I don't really know what's going on necessarily in your life. I don't know where you're at, what, what's going on or, or what's, what's um, and it's all coming from one side as I speak to you. But there's something that home groups do, and in a small environment, it brings you down into a small group to be able to share with each other the things that are going on in life as we also study the scriptures together. And that's something that's, um, that we'd like to do a lot more of at, at Hukunui is the, to get these home groups um, just continually happening and where you can, it's more of this discipleship type of thing, of, of learning each other's lives and being in each other's lives. So what I've got just in the back of the hall as you walk out of the door, I've got um, there's two pieces of A3 stapled together, and that's, that's naming the various um, home groups that we've currently got at Hukunui, and then the people that are involved in those home groups. Okay, And there's just the, the various days that are there, and, and what I'd love for you to do is to be able to have you just write your name on one of those home groups. Just get inside some sort of a circle where you can communicate to each other in loving fellowship and prayer for each other and that we can work together as a church to do the things that God's calling us at Hukunui to do. Now, all I'd like to do, there's also a column at the end here for those that are unavailable. Now, obviously, sometimes we can't because of certain circumstances and because of, um, I don't know, just geography of things or where we are. So if you're unavailable, you can also just put your name in that column. And by doing that, it just means you're not going to be getting a phone call to say oh, how, which group or which one you'd like to be available in. So what I'd like you to do, if you could, would be on the way out, would be just to write your name. And even if there's not a home group that sort of suits or that you're thinking out, even if you could just write your name on one of the days, and then we could try and organise things for extra home groups and things like that. So that's just more of a challenge to all of us, really, Tokanui, is which circles are we moving in? And, and it'll be great to get everyone involved in some kind of a home group so that we can just explore the word together and wrestle with it and things like that. Let's just um, close in prayer, shall we? And Father, we, we thank you, Lord, just in your presence as um, we think of the relationship that John had as a character, Lord, to you. And um, Lord, just it just seems sometimes just so hard to get a grasp of what it meant that he would, that John, and that you would call him the disciple that Jesus loved, Lord. And Lord, we just, we desire that relationship with you, Lord. Lord, we want to be in your inner circle. We want to be ones that are just absolutely, Lord, can have this, this um, passion and this drive, Lord. Maybe not like Peter, who was just an outward thing in all things, and we see that very visibly, Lord. But maybe like James and John, who have that same passion and desire, thirst and excitement for you, Lord, but just carry on with that excitement and do the things, Lord, that you're calling us to do. Lord, I just pray for anyone that's, Lord, in a chair that they're not comfortable in, 
just something that's going on, Lord, and they'd like to just have that thunder and that just continual um, working towards you, Lord, and we just pray for them. And, Lord, I just pray for this whole idea of home groups and hukanui as a church. Lord, just bind us together in love. Lord, help us to, to relate to each other, to, to care for each other, Lord. We thank you for the caring and the love that is here, Lord. We just thank you so much for that. Lord, just help us to continue that and to, to grow home groups, to, to be together, Lord. And help us all to do it, Lord, for the vision of the glory of your name and for your purposes, we pray. Thank you. Just again, Lord, we come before you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.